This show is brought to you by Growth Australia, market leaders in designing and creating workplaces. Welcome to Let's Talk Growth, Brisbane's number one people and property podcast. Join our fantastic guests to talk about innovation, marketing ideas, and technology that you can apply to your business to facilitate growth. Hi, my name's Daniel Boys, and I'm the host of Let's Talk Growth. Listeners, have we got a treat for you today. Please join Growth Australia's Ian Gilmore as he steps you through our inaugural panel event, Let's Grow. With the ever-changing landscape of how roles for the individual and values of the company are defined, how can leaders ensure that they harness culture and values in a way that cultivates job satisfaction and purpose for their colleagues? Is this the key to winning the war on talent? Enjoy. Right, we've got um, Andrew Pike. Andrew Pike is the Managing Director of TrueCoup. Andrew operates the um, corporate services and HR consulting business and has been in recruitment for 26 years. Trucu formed five years ago in 2017 and started with four people in um, Queen Street co-working hub space. The business grew to eight in 2018 and they moved into a small office in Edward Street. Fast forward 12 months, 2019, they then moved to 200 square metres and started with 16 people. Nine months later again, 300 square metres, 100 creek, and they signed up a fit-out company called Growth Australia. We did their fit-out and that catered for 28 people. The organisation now sits at 62 people across businesses in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne, and yet again they are moving. They're now signed 650 square metre into the Riverside Centre, and that um, also their Sydney business is moving into 249 square metres in Martin Place. Earlier this year, the business pivoted and created their second offering of an engineering recruitment business called Hire People and plans to open a Melbourne office in the second half of FY23. Andrew Pike. To Andrew's right, we've got Ash Lonnan. Ash is the Chief People Officer. Oh, sorry. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> he changed my order. <laughs> this is how he did it. <laughs> Throwing me off. If Dan was here, we'd get that right with him. Yeah. yeah. Ring in. <laughs> Ash is the Chief People Officer at Go One. Ash started the business in January this year and her role is end-to-end employee experience. Everything in that banner sits in her role. Go One was founded in 2015 when the co-founders joined the Y Combinator Accelerator. Their headcount in January 21, 271 people. June 21, 314 people. January 2022, 494 people and they're currently sitting at 658 people across 28 countries. Their vision is to reach 1 1 billion learners. Last year, they got to 3.5 million, and they've just achieved 6 million now. What do they do? They are an aggregator of online learning content. They don't create the content. They've got partnerships with some of the world's best content creators, and they package their content into one license to help the customers educate their teams. Welcome. Welcome. Finally, on our panel, we have Colin Steenbolt. Now, Colin is the Head of People and Culture for SwiftX. Within that role sits recruitment, payroll, talent programming, learning development, and workplace experience. Busy man. Colin's been with the role for 1.5 years <laughs> and knew the founders prior to that for a year before. SwiftX, does everybody know SwiftX as well? Massive growth. So 2020, they had 11 people and they started doing this small business. January 21, they moved to 30 people into a small um, office in Kings Row in Milton, which catered for 36 desks. 
July 2021, they then went to 106 people. They rented multiple shared offices and spaces and empty buildings in their building waiting for their fit out, which they engaged growth for. Thank you. January 22, up to 190 people. They moved into their new office for 130 desks and they outgrew it on the day they got the keys. June 22, they're now sitting currently at 270 people. They've signed a second floor for 1,700 square metres, which we are in design for at the moment. And they've also moved into WeWork in Sydney. Fantastic story. So when you add that up, the experience on the room for the businesses is 20 years. That's quite amazing. I didn't do the numbers on the people, but there's probably a thousand people employed amongst the four businesses here. So let's have a round of applause for that. That is sensational growth. Well done. <laughs> so people who don't know myself, I am Ian Gilmore, and I'm one of the co-founders of Growth Australia. Growth Australia, we're a turnkey design and build business workplace consultancy. We work with our clients at the forefront of their accommodation journey to ensure their office fit out to reflect their company values and culture. We formed our business in 2018, myself, Jason, and Tim. Tim, unfortunately, can't be with us today. He's in a funeral in the UK. We signed our first lease six months after 2018 and had two additional people. Very quickly, we secured our first five clients and was 12 people by the end of the first year. We bought Design In-House two years later, which is Megan Rigdon, and you've all seen our offices upstairs. That was Megan's first assignment. No pressure, she actually nailed it. Fast forward to current, we are now 32 people, or growth fights as we call ourselves, and we are recruiting another four people, and the market is buoyant at the moment. We've got best part of, I think, 32 projects in the scheme of design and build at the moment, and we've turned over 60 million since our inception. So I've got those stats and those numbers on purpose, because today is all about the war on talent, or the perceived war on talent. So if you reflect on what I've just said there, every single business here is growing at a rapid amount of knots. So Daniel set up this panel event to try and work through what is, the, what is the driver behind businesses look like? How is the culture effective in these fast growing businesses? And more importantly, the last two or three years we've been through with the COVID, the floods, how has that affected hybrid work and how does that have an effect on culture? All right, so this is gonna be a panel event, but at the same time, we've all decided Feel free to jump in anytime. If there's any questions that want to come through, rather than wait to the end, put your hand up. We'll make it as interactive as you can. I might start with Colin. Colin, so for those who don't know, SwiftX is formed by Angus and Alex. Angus and Alex were 28 when they formed the business. So to reflect on their numbers, they've got 300 people. They've just merged with another company and they're going to be a $1.5 billion superhouse. So Colin, my first question to you is, there's no real experience at 28 that leadership has come through. So has that created any challenges in the business? And how have you guys in your role as the people and culture manager been able to counter that? Yeah, so look, um, first and foremost, their first business. Angus is technical, technical side and actually, never actually had a proper job as a developer. Um, <laughs> Self-taught. And Alex is a serial entrepreneur, so always, he'll always tell a story where he started selling orange juice first and then off to SwiftX. So... Um, it's challenging uh, because what you're trying to do is coach them as well as advice. So it's not just an advisor's role. You're trying to coach them through decision-making, such as, such as uh, real estate and all those places. But it's, it's really challenging where um, you, they are learning on the way as well. At the same time, though, I mean, our demographic is quite young because of that. Um, not necessarily that we just hire for that, definitely not, but it's just the way it's accumulated. And what you see is that everyone's learning. So not, they don't stand out necessarily from the fact that they are young or they haven't done this before. They actually are very 
much growing at the same pace. And in fact, I'm actually surprised by the rate that they're still keeping up with the business. We spoke, we spoke earlier about the business outgrowing people. <clears throat> yes. Uh, and that can easily happen to the founders as well. It doesn't matter if you found it, but it's challenging at times, but at the same time, you're, um, you're seeing rapid growth. They are the ones that own the massive share in this business. They are the most invested. So they have to, they have to keep on pace. Um, so, so yeah, it's challenging at times because you're teaching them just as much as you're teaching anyone else. Um, there's no mentorship from them, but there is a drive that you cannot buy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. So, and that drive to learn is some, something that I think only a founder will have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And do you find when the people first start, they're in a role, and I've been watching your team grow, and I think you've got 18 in your team now. Do you find there's a resentment to let go of the roles so as people evolve through you start to recruit beneath them to fill the gaps as the business outgrows the people how's that sort of better than the guys who originally started in the business yeah look, well, good point um people find it really hard to let go of stuff um in general uh and and that is the key to actually do it that and that is our role that's my role to to them and my team's role to the business um, whenever we grow and teams grow rapidly we are coaching the leaders just as much as i'm coaching alex and, and, and angus to, to let go of stuff. And for example, uh, Alex was CEO first, we lost the CTO, then he kind of stepped into that role, um, our CFO became CEO, but I don't think he ever let go of the CEO responsibilities because he always wanted to say, um, they are co-CEOs at the moment. Okay. Um, and I think that really works. And if you look at the dynamic, he actually never stepped away fully yes. to, to actually um, um, let go. Uh, at the same time, do you really have to? Is a question, right? So um, I think at some point you have to. Uh, it's it's all about hiring. We're talking about talent today, so it's all about hiring the right people into the right roles that they start trusting that they can do the job that they were doing. Um, as long as you get that, um, I, I say senior leadership, but leadership in general, in that they start to trust. Oh wait, wait, I actually was away on that call. An emergency happened overnight, and someone fixed it. I'm starting to trust that. that but that's a, that's a process. I mean. That is a development of, I would say, the last six months rather than the last 18 months, where yeah. you can really see that development where we've really established a good leadership level to, um, to build that trust. But it's, um, it's hard to let go of things. Uh, the, the fit out is a, is a great example. <laughs> we were just talking about it. Um, I have a big say on what, what culturally you want and how you want it. And I think I've got an opinion on how things should flow within the space. Yet Alex will go, nah, I want that. <laughs> I want a ball pit room, so well, ball pit room it is. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, so yeah, letting go of things is really hard for them. Yeah, uh, and sometimes you just gotta go. That's fine. Um, and you choose your battles, right? That's a saying I've grown up with. Is so you you choose your battles. Where I say no, this is really my area of expertise, and I'm gonna say no to you. Mm. Uh, and he'll accept that um, because he trusts me. Uh, but at the same time, fit out wise, I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm not gonna fight over a ball pit. So. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's an inter interesting dynamic, but you'll you'll always find that build a leadership team, and they'll start trusting they can actually let go. Yeah, perfect. And I guess we did your fit out. I think you've occupied about three or four months now, and it was a very playful fit out. So there was lots of gamings. There's lots of fun aspects to it as well. Has that actually affected the culture of the drive of the recruitment of the people coming through? And what lessons have you learned in the new fit out that you've maybe adapted? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's driven it to an extent that I think we've always had a fun culture. And so people would come and enjoy it and feel the vibe. In a smaller office, they would walk through. We actually made sure that we kind of had to walk through the space to get to the interview room, for example. <clears throat> so people would pick up on it. 
I think it's got an extra level to it when people go that are a bit younger go, you've got a ball pit room. But at the same time, when you hire a CFO, he wouldn't care less about it. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think it, yes, it had an effect. Uh, at the same time, I think it's good to show that you're a professional bunch. I think that's the main key is that you've got your shit together, um, especially when you're a crypto business because yeah. people are still a little bit iffy about it sometimes and is it, does it have a future? How secure is it? So candidates that aren't on, on the, uh, fully on, on, on our side or are still questioning that how secure it is if they walk into an office that's fully fitted out, that's playful and showing that we're actually having fun, that we're not a serious bunch, that we're not crooks, that we're not... Um, uh, scamming anyone that, that this is a, a legit business doing well, but wanting to make sure that you've got fun while doing it, um, which is one of our values actually. Uh, then people people trust that, and so it builds a bit of trust in the fact that you you mean what you say. So we've we've built a lot of playful elements in it because fun is actually one of our core values. So if you show that you stick to that, uh, at the same time we've got all the security levels that we need. So integrity and all those values they stick out as well. Um, so like everyone will check in on you when you actually enter the building, like everyone that visits go, I've been asked by six people in two minutes, if I'm okay, if I'm looked after and we're like, well, that's the culture we want because yes, it's being nice to you, but also there shouldn't be any stranger in our building. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think the space being playful helped. Um, I think at the same time, it just showed that we mean what we say when we talk about our values and stuff. And I think that's what attracted people. Yeah. Fantastic. I think, Claude, that's probably a great segue into you. You absolutely live and breathe your values as a business. Yeah, we do. We, um, we made that um, very clear from the start. We had, in uh, uh, one of those four of us, we, we, uh, we'd all probably had experience of working in businesses that were perceived to be values-led but probably weren't, and that was just something that uh, was on the website or the wall. So, um, you know, we've tried to embed uh, the values in pretty much every decision-making process that we go through um and it's it's worked really well if i'm honest with you and it's 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 been it's been great because when you see other people in your business making decisions based on the values then they're working right you know from my perception anyway so so no we, we, we've done that we've kept it simple it's 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 interesting whether the four values that we had when we you know started the business are still relevant now and they are but you know one thing we challenge ourselves on as our business grows and scales and goes into state and things, are they still um, relevant for the business that we are growing into? Um, and uh, that's something that we'll, we'll keep looking at. But I think values is, is a, a huge thing. And, and I think, um, you know, we, we talk about culture and we talk about morale in businesses and we talk about, you know, the, the employee value proposition. Um, but the value of the, the values in the business underpin everything, as far as we're concerned. And, and you know, you have, our Sydney office, for instance, has a very different culture to, to our business and the cultural feel. But the values are aligned, and I think as long as the values are aligned across the business, that's that's the critical point. Fantastic. I've worked for previous companies where head offices have been in Sydney and been in Melbourne, and we've always felt like the poor cousins up here in Queensland. Yep. yep. So as I think we've all got three head offices here in sorry four head offices in Queensland. Well, how, what are you guys doing to bridge that cultural gap with the operations with the, with that are the other states? Yeah, it's a good question, and, and I think it's 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 one where we challenge ourselves constantly on making sure that we are communicating and we're making sure that any initiatives that are done in Brisbane as head office um, cascade into Sydney uh, and then Melbourne, etc. Um, I, I think I think it's really that just communication piece as well. I think, um, as I said. 
cultures are just some of the people that work within the business and those cultures are, are, are different. But ultimately, processes values need to be aligned. Communication between the uh, businesses needs to be critical. We've just got past that point now of trying to involve the other offices in uh, Monday morning meetings and sales meetings because their client base, their culture, their, their diaries are very different now. And obviously, when you're very small, you can align. Um, and even with even with the time difference with uh, with the eastern suburbs, uh, sorry, eastern states, you, you, that that causes issues, even just now. So we're we're now at that stage where you know Sydney will run its own meetings and run its own processes. But I think it's really important that we just have those uh, the communi- regular communications, and we have people going back and forth all the time. That that that's the main thing of having people in their office and people up here. So. And as a face-to-face business and being an extra recruiter myself, how did you guys cope during the COVID world where people working from home and Obviously, technology came into play a lot more as well. But was there a was there an element where your teams had to be more supportive because they couldn't do that personal interview and actually read body language, so they weren't converting their goals? Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I think we all struggled to some extent, given the move to making that a hundred percent of the interaction, certainly in a client interview or a candidate interview. Um, and I think that was. Um, I think different people manage that transition at different levels and, and, and different levels of ease. Uh, and still are, if I'm honest with you, Ian, it, it, it's different depending on your makeup. But ultimately, as a recruitment and HR consulting business, um, the benefits of being in a room, being face-to-face and having a conversation, picking up on different signals in the room and body language, et cetera, is, uh, are absolutely critical. And um, not having that is, um, is a little bit restricting. I think the challenge more so that we faced during the, the probably the lockdown period that we certainly had in Queensland was, and probably the same for a lot of businesses, is we found that our teams were never switching off. They were just, you know, emails coming 11 and 12 o'clock at night, five o'clock in the morning because the laptop was on the kitchen top. And so we got sort of partway through in, and, and, and we're having regular catch-ups or virtual drinks, everything that, that you would imagine we would do um, and then we sort of noted as, the, as a director group we're, we're going to start burning people out here people are, are working 14 15 hour days not necessarily consecutively but they were just dropping in dropping out so we made a conscious decision your working day is your working day um, and and at a certain point whenever your work is done it's laptop down is the same would be the office door is shut and, and you need that break okay. and was your clients agreeing to that too yeah i think so I, I, absolutely we we, we you know, being a recruitment business, you know, we are effectively a sales organisation and during that period of time, you know, selling was not the appropriate action for us to do. Yeah. Uh, and our, um, we, uh, as a whole collective, um, made a decision and, and and not necessarily everyone in our industry made the same decision, but we, we made a decision not to sell, not to business develop, but basically work with the businesses that we're working with and just ask what we can do to help. Um, and it was, you know, everybody was in the same boat, having, you know, recruitment businesses trying and book meetings to try and talk about hiring people at that point in time was totally inappropriate, we felt. So it was it was uh, effectively working with those that were still hiring or, or needed help, um, but taking a very different approach to, to, I suppose, that client relationship. Absolutely. And Andrew, so, so just curious, because you're talking to a lot of candidates more than we are, and you're talking to a lot of shooters. You're talking about working remotely and, and that balance. 
do you see a difference in candidates from through COVID now at the back end of COVID? I guess they're candidates that are making comments around working from home or, or that sort of spaces? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, um, and you, you forget if it's, if it's, if somebody's 18, 19 years old, some of or most of their working life has now been done through COVID. And, and we forget that, you know, we think that we were pre-COVID, post-COVID and, and during. Um, it's a really good question, Colin. I, I, I'll give you an anecdotal story. I interviewed a, a lady um, or a young girl actually a few, only a few weeks ago for a position in our office. Uh, and we were talking about the role um, and it was working within one of our recruitment teams. So it was a sales focused role of, of sorts. And um, and I ended the interview and I said, what's your requirements, perception, view on flexible hybrid working? And she said, oh, Andrew, it's the same as everybody else, really. It's no different. I just want to be able to get up in the morning and not come into work if I don't want to come in. <laughs> <laughs> and genuinely, that's right. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> Funny enough, no, Jason, she didn't. Um, no, she didn't. But it, again, it, uh, I think she was probably... 18, 19 years old, and her perception was that, you know, that the, the, the normal world of work was the ability to come in and just say, I don't want to come in today, you know, regardless of the role. Um, it, it is, it's a really good question. I think it is, it is a very poignant subject for, for interviews and candidates and understanding, and people are accepting or not accepting roles based on remote working, hybrid working, and flexible working, which are all three might have different connotations. Um, and I have a view which is aligned to the role type as well, where it, it sits very well with some role types and some organisations, and there are some organisations or some roles in those organisations where that probably doesn't or can't sit you know, as easily. Yeah, That's a great point. So one of my leading questions, which is to the panel nine in particular, um, we are a builder, so the majority of our work is based on site. So I was going to pose the question, when you're looking at hybrid working and trying to put that cultural piece out to offer that flexibility for retention as well as attraction, how do you cater for the role of the site manager in my business, as an example, who can't do their role of hybrid? And then how do you counter with the, I guess, the well, why are they allowed to and I'm not? Is, is that come up in your businesses? And is there any comments you guys can talk about? You have a lot of reps. We've got a lot of reps, but everyone can work remotely. Our preference is for some to be together, to have that kind of camaraderie and that, you know, that vibe. But, you know, we, we didn't have that option. And I think for us as a business as well, we've got so many people in so many countries. We're never going to have the luxury of everyone being in the same office, let alone on the same time zone. Yeah. So um, we've got baristas. They can't be talking for us to but we repurposed them, right? We, we thought about different opportunities that they can do, different things that they can do to support the business from home. And then when we return, continue making coffee. Um, so I think it was just about repurposing and making sure they still had a reason for being um, a part of our business and then um, bringing them back to what they were doing previously. But I, I don't think I'm the right person to be on this panel, right? Because I, you know, we, we run on the basis that remote can work. Yeah. I <laughs> know oh, this is not a challenge. We yeah, still yeah, value yeah. bricks and mortar, yeah, don't yeah, get me wrong. But, yeah. um, you know, I think... Um, yeah, I think it's an expectation now, right? There's not many candidates now that, that are surprised um, that, that we have a distributed workforce and, and most, I find, don't even talk about it now because it is an expectation so that this will be um, flexible, not just in where but when and how and, yeah. and all of the things. Um, and so, yeah, it's not so much a talking point for us anymore. It's just something that we've got to do. And I'm just going back, <clears throat> excuse me, pre-COVID, yep. 
How's your leadership team adapting to managing a hybrid workplace? I don't know. I only started in January. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, though, like, if I can talk to that, I, I, we've gone through a similar process, process as SwiftX, right? So um, we're still founder-led um, and they went through a process of, right, we need to, we're growing up and we need to have some, you know, some strong leaders come into the business and, and run it. Um, my role didn't exist before January, as an example. So, um, you know, I think we, you know, we've gone through a, a very big leadership change at the same time. But Go One was founded um, as a distributed workforce. Yeah, we create great environments um, and just hope that people see the appeal and come in, and they do. Um, but we don't require people to be there, so it wasn't as big a shift for us to say, "Oh, how do we do this now?" Technology supports working anywhere, so it's it's just not a big deal. Do you, do you see the same issues then as Android, like that there's just such a blur to when work is done? Oh, yeah. Like, but we. But, but you have to because you're global. We kind of asked for the blur. Yeah. My first call this morning was at 6 a.m. And, and, you know, you look at any Australian calendar and, you know, between sort of 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., it's chockers because we're trying to catch up with the U.S. and then we yeah, kind of have time. a bit of downtime and then you go with the U.K. and Europe. So, you know, we asked for that blur. Therefore, we can't really ask for people to, to do that in the office. Um, we've got to give the flexibility to do it anywhere as well. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Seems to work. So, Ash, obviously, a question you can answer then. You've obviously had massive growth. How have you ensured that your onboarding process has been accurate? And how do you measure people who have been in the business four to six weeks? We were discussing earlier, they go for that nice, warm, fluffy yeah. feeling. Four to six weeks or maybe even three to four months when they've actually got to do the job and they've had the perks, they've had the baristas, they've had the golf sims, they've had the <laughs> connect four and whatever it might be. How have you measured the sort of like sustainability of the onboarding process? We we measure our onboarding process the whole way through, right? And at some point, so it's sort of the three to four months it passes off to our engagement measurement. So, um, and, and that can be drilled down on tenure so we can see um, what the impact of that is. I think we're, we're pretty particular about our onboarding process. We... Um, you know, for every person that joins the organisation, we have a, my team will run an onboarding process. The founders and myself will then run another onboarding process and we sit and introduce each other, everyone. You know, I was on a call last night, I think there were 40 people. So that's 40 new starters just on our UK call. And we sat there for a good hour while everybody introduced themselves and then we got into the content. Um, so, you know, we, we value that a lot um, because I think, you know, it gives people face time with our founders and with some of our exec team and it gives them that level of comfort that they can reach out and have a conversation with us um, and, you know, we have that relationship. Because we're so dis distributed, we really kind of focus on that pretty heavily. Um, then within our big teams, you know, we've got a, a very large sales team. We've got a sales enablement team that sort of pick up where we drop off um, and then they take all of our sales team through their enablement piece and keep sort of coaching them and driving them. So same within our product and engineering teams as well. So awesome. Pretty so, important. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. So, so we're here about the war on talent. So do we actually think there is a war on talent? <coughs> yeah, I think there definitely is. And how, how are your businesses independently catering for that? I'll give, I'll give you an example before I answer that question because it's a loaded question. Obviously, you're in the foreface of recruiting. You're probably doing a lot of headhunting out businesses. Are you seeing trends of companies being reactive where they're going straight back with a counteroffer? And is it about the counteroffer? Or... Are you hearing people are moving because of the lack of culture within the organisation? Um, I think combination of both. I think I think the the, the, the counter offer is alive and well, if that's the, the right phrase to use. Um, we're seeing that used a lot to retain obviously people into businesses. Um, 
So, so that's definitely happening. I think there is a lot of focus in on attraction and perhaps they were only playing catch up now on retention where businesses are very much looking about trying to bring people through the front door. And obviously, you know, there's lots of people leaving those businesses and obviously analyzing why people are leaving businesses is, is critically important. Um, I think that, that, you know, if you're, depending on which survey you read, you know, remuneration, culture and L&D are probably still, still the top three things that people will look for in, in, all, uh, in, in employment and in, in, uh, a new employee. I, I think now, the fourth thing and that's probably driving people to leave is maybe um, purpose. Uh, and, and I think, you know, what, what's the purpose of this business? And, and I went to a breakfast meeting recently um, about um, ECG, which is economic and um, cultural governance. Um, and what's, what's this business stand for? Why am I here? What's this business doing? And I think, you know, we're, we're seeing now, it's really, really interesting that, 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 that the power of the, what is this business doing and, and why is it doing it is, is now moving from the boardroom into the you know into employees who are, are driving decisions in the boardroom to say you know if we don't do something good then I'm off you know for you know at a very basic level um, and um, you know you, you see that with investment companies if, if there's no diversity we're not investing in those sorts of things so I think there's lots of reasons as well there is definitely a wall for talent in there's no, there's no doubt about that you you could argue that current economic climate means it's probably softening in the same way as, as, as you know a capital housing market soften we see we're seeing that, that soften we're not seeing it drop off and I was saying to the guys earlier it's, it's a really strange place at the moment the businesses are talking about slowing down um, but at the same time, you know, they're still hiring. Are we <coughs> seeing, obviously, you know, the levels of hiring sort of coming off a little bit, probably, um, but we're coming from a pretty high base, really. So it, it's, it's, we're getting down perhaps only a, a little bit below that. So a lot of the clients that I consult to and speak to who obviously in our world are going through revamping their offices and looking at their three to five year strategy plans as well, are you guys in your businesses addressing, obviously Colin, probably more for yourself, the attraction piece of the office? And is the office playing a big part in your recruitment process? Are you selling that as, hey, look what we've got coming up and yeah. trying to be that point of difference? Yeah, we definitely do because um, through the earlier phase of our business, we've uh, run a uh, office first environment. So we wanted people to come in. Um, and yes, there was some flexibility, but ideally most of your days in the week you were in. Um, and that was more because I guess the founders wanted to establish a culture and make sure that they had the right influence on that culture and then that the workspace had the right influence on that. I think we're big enough now to say that um, that's established and that we're confident enough to have way more flexibility um, throughout the, the, we have to as well, because we, we ran out of space and then we got the keys. So, you know, it's, it's kind of forced to, but it's more, we're, we're a hybrid model now and that's a good move. But at the same time, we're seeing people wanting to come in. So a lot of our workforce actually want to be in the office. They want to see that, like I'm finding it hard at the moment, actually getting people to work from home two days a week. Wow. So um, people want to come in. So the people that we speak to in the market for now, most of them are people that want the same environment. Um, they're referrals from other colleagues. They come with the same kind of culture. They come with the same kind of mentality. Uh, and so we see a lot of people we speak to, they come to us. So when, we, when they come into the office to interview, for example, which they like to do as well, um, they're, they're like, yes, this is cool. Um, 
it, it still attracts people. And so we, re we really want to use that. Um, Alex had a vision for this office um, to be this cool new office in Brisbane, starting with Tech Hub of Brisbane. And sure, we're, we're making an impact, uh, hopefully a larger impact over time. But um, yeah, we're seeing people wanting to be in the office. So having a cool office that is new, that is functional, that works well, that is fun, um, all plays into that. So, so, we're, so we're using it for sure. And um, we struggled a bit in Sydney because two things, we were not known that well in Sydney. And we were literally locked up in a WeWork where, you know, it's, yeah, it's what it is. Uh, and so luckily with the merger now, we actually have an office um, of Superhero to use, which is literally just fitted out so we can we can move in there. Oh, take so, it up your funnel, Chris. I know. It's dead. <laughs> we'll grow out of that quickly. Put uh, it back on. <laughs> <laughs> but but, it, but it's, uh, it, it's an interesting one because we've noticed in Sydney that because they've been in way more lockdowns, they necess didn't necessarily ask for it as much as people here in Brisbane. But we did see that not being known that well and not having that office space um, definitely were two lacking ar arguments, I guess, in the sales process of, of attracting a candidate. So, um, and, and retention is another thing, like you're talking about attraction, but, but retention, people having a workspace where they actually come and enjoy themselves, where their colleagues are, where it's not just work and that's it, where they can hang around for a bit, play a bit of pool with a colleague that they know from another department. It all works. Mm -hmm. So that collaborativeness isn't just in collaborative work. It's also so the social aspect, I guess, of, of being in the office. Um, and it just makes people feel like it's a space where they belong. Um, yeah. I think something you said that it's important and we spoke about is that everything works. Yes. I, I'd, I'd give away all the ball pits for a VC that just works. Yeah, you correct. don't have to do all the things with and I think, you know, making sure that that is front and centre with all of the different sort of environments within the office is so important. Otherwise, people go home. Absolutely. Because yeah. they know it works at home yeah. and they don't have to worry. And you're certainly right and that's one of our biggest gripes that we hear is tech mm. working and tech working but also being uniformed. Mm. So if mm. I go to the boardroom and look, we are guilty, we've put a solution in place that is not working for us, so we've got it wrong. I go to the boardroom, I can't use it, you need training, it's too hard. People, it's meant to be a touch screen but people still plug into it and then you've got clients come through so you lose that 15 minutes of someone coming in, it's embarrassing. Yeah. One, of, one of the questions I'm keen to ask from you Ash is as a, I guess a diverse workforce, Dan, always uses the words, the water cooler conversations. <laughs> so how are you catering for that lack of, I guess, the observation and the juniors coming through and the yeah. observing and being able to grow through just from observing? We, we have a very active Slack environment. There's a, there's a lot of conversations that happen on there, probably too many, um, and probably some that shouldn't be in the workplace. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, I, think, I think if you think about the water cooler conversations and the juniors and, you know, what are they going to get the lead from, we're taking the approach that they can get that, that mentoring, that support from a much more diverse environment if we think outside of your immediate office. Um, if you think about the, the colleagues you can speak to in the US or the UK or, you know, and, and have a much broader experience than what you might have, you know, um, those, those interactions are great, but the person next to you might not be giving you great advice. Yeah. So, you know, I think having that diversity and being able to access different people is, is a great outcome. Um, but yeah, you're right. You, there's also those bits where you just run into each other and have a chat and that's great. So I think the approach we take there is great environments. You'll come in, you want to come in, want to bring your dog in as well. We've got a dog booking system to make sure there's not too many creatures in the hood. Um, but I think, you know, making those environments really great. And then, you know, for some some teams, our SDRs, that's our most junior salespeople, they're green. They've never, um, this is likely their first job. 
we do require them to be in the office three days a week um, and to interact with other people and to really be very engrossed in that onboarding experience because that's what sets them up to move into AE roles and CSM roles and other roles within the business. So, you know, they have a vested interest in doing that. We've done the same, I think, to... um well, as you said, for, for anyone new who's not experienced our industry before, um, we ask for the first few months that they're in, in fact, almost four or five days a week, but the people that are mentoring them or their leader is also in with mm. them as well because um, it's a lonely space if it's a new industry or a new job and then you're working from home and you yeah. don't feel you can access. And so I think we just have that period of time. And I think ultimately, you know, there's one of the issues again with um hybrid working, remote working and distributed workforces is, is, is trust, you know, yeah. and I think that, that's, that's been one of the, the key things we've seen um, with clients is their, their level of trust in, in that the work's going to get done and outcomes are still going to be achieved. So I think that's still, I think businesses are still grappling with that to some extent and I, I think the style of management now, uh, managing a distributed workforce over what was something sitting all in the room is very different uh, and, and, um, and I, I'm not sure if training and behaviours and things have caught up with every business as yet. It's hard to transition when you started. I think we're going through a phase of transition that you've started like that, right? So you you start from already being diverse, being spread out, being uh, just anywhere in the, in the world and, and knowing that that's your routine. Your routine is knowing that there needs to be a team or a Zoom invite to every calendar invite. There needs to be mm. a room book. That, that those routines, those habits, we're, we're transitioning a bit more to that. Um, the flexibility of working from home is great, but people need to check their calendar. Like we've recently had a couple instances where a candidate came in and the two people that were interviewing them were actually working from home. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that, that doesn't work, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you've got to find a balance between yeah, what's... Yeah, what's okay as flexibility yep. and, and, and what still needs to be set up. And are, is everyone used to it? Is, it? is it your routine to make sure that it all works, um, being a hybrid model and having that flexibility? I think even if you've started it, you've still got to be intentional. Yeah. We have um, an end of week call every week uh, without fail. Um, we do it at 9 a.m. AST one week. We do it at 6 p.m. the following week. Someone in my team who's based in the U.S., um, when he first started, he saw the 6 p.m. AEST invite, which I think was probably 2 a.m. for him, and he got up and he joined the call. <laughs> like, we didn't have any content to say, by the way, this is recorded, there'll be notes, <laughs> you don't have to join. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, you've got to make sure you think through the whole experience, right, and, and every kind of variation of that to make sure people have a good one. Yeah. We eat fruit, free food on Friday, so we've got a full house. We're good. So you but on Monday, you yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> on Mondays, yeah. Um, but I think also for our business, you know, Monday's our quiet day because the US is still on their weekend. Yeah. So we get, you know, a lot of people tend to make that their meeting free day um, and just get into stuff. And your environment probably is better from home to do that. Um, he's got to be conflicted though, right? Because he has so many workers that need to be in the factory that that are hands-on and have to be there. And then do you have that solidarity approach, right? If they can't do it, then we shouldn't either. Like I, mm. I, I don't agree with the comments, but I think they've probably the context is relevant as well. I, I think Chris, to be honest with you, I think what we're seeing now is as we've come out of the worst of lockdowns and things, businesses are now sort of landing on what their hybrid model is. Yeah. And I think businesses are actually establishing, okay, it's, this is, this is going to be the norm now. It's going to be three and two, four and one, two, three, whatever it is. Um, but it's a really good point because I think one of the key decisions is 
when are those days in the office? And I know from a number of clients we've got in Sydney that they, they like, they're, they're, we book in the week. We start as a team and we finish as a team. So effectively, we're all in on Monday, we're all in on Friday. Anything in between is, is, is down to you as the employee or your, your leader, effectively. And yet I, I sat with a business a couple of weeks ago and they said, do you know what? People just don't want to come in on Monday. And do you know what? They want the ability to, to leave a little bit early on a Friday and go to the coast. We know that. So, so we... You've got to you've got to be in on the on the middle three days, two of the middle three days, or three of the middle three days, and and not the Monday and the Friday. And we're okay with that, providing the outcome is achieved. Um, so I think you've got to look at that outcome based business or economy and things, and, and what do you want? Um, what is your business? And I think there's some businesses that really value that start of the week and getting everybody in and that collaboration. Um, and there's others that that, that can be far more flexible than that you know and, and so I think it's a really good point I think that that when what is that hybrid model looking like in businesses now we're, we're seeing a lot of businesses who were traditionally and I know it's very different to go one but were traditionally a five day in the office business now sort of settling on three days three and two that, that, that seems to be quite common what did you call the uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Twats. Twats. <laughs> the twats. <laughs> the twats, yes. The twats. We were calling them the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, yes. <laughs> did you get much pushback at all from when you put that policy in place? So we, we, we're still grappling with ours. We're moving offices, as we mentioned, so we're still working out what ours is, and I think we're landing on three and two. And I think, you know, I think what we have said is that we support everybody who works in the business, but we expect everybody who works in our business to support us back. And, and our view is in effectively what is a predominantly a team-based sales collaborative environment that three days is an effective period of time to get outcomes and two days is a really good period of time for people to, to work from. If they choose, we've got people in an office, that there's not, that they'll be in five days a week, you know. So, so I think we have to accommodate both. It's not everybody wants to work from home. Perfect. So there's a few clients in here I'm talking to currently. How do you overcome the cultural issue when you've got a big office like you've got to sign to and it's half empty because you put people on hybrid working. We haven't moved in yet, Ian. So oh, oh there we go. <laughs> Colin, maybe you could answer that. So uh, some, of the, some of the challenges we see, we talked about your office being across two floors, but you've obviously got the internet and stairs. We, we noticed it a lot. So um, last year, this is a year ago, so we signed the lease for before we're in now. We had... 36, we had another four, so let's say 40 desks where we were. We, by June, had about 106 people. So we rented a corporate house next door, rented about four rooms in there. Uh, that was the building next door. Yes. We then um, got to the neighbor, neighbor solutions and rented half their floor. And then we went downstairs where Sandvik used to be, and then we rented that floor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was very much divided. And we immediately noticed it, like engagement scores went down a bit. People were like complaining, it's not the same. Even though we like, we replaced the chairs and we made sure it was still okay. It wasn't one space and it wasn't a new space. And so we've noticed disconnect already, like where an engineer and a customer support officer, if a customer support officer would hear a customer complain and say, oh, can we fix that? Would literally sit with the developer. The fact that they had to take the lift down to another floor and go sit with them. Um, meant that they wouldn't do it necessarily. And so we already saw a little bit of disconnection. Then when you, as leaders, you got to actively go, we need to have processes or simple processes or habits in place to still get that done because that was very valuable. So um, it's hard. Like now we're one floor, but we're kind of divided. You know, there's one side and there's the other side. 
and we're going to get a next floor. So we're actually wanting to have a staircase in place to make sure that there's a, an easy way to get to the other floor. But uh, this is also where you've got to accept that your culture will change a bit. Yes. Like you've got to accept that if you grow that size, if you could double, every, they say every time you double in size, your culture changes. And I think it's true. Like, um, is it bad? No, it's not. Like to your point, there's values, there's other things that keep you connected. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do as a, a PNC function to keep people connected. So have events. Um, we, we, we do actually co coffee roulette. So we make sure that people get teamed up every month with someone uh, else in the business and just go for a coffee at the cafe downstairs. Um, all other sort of initiatives to keep people connected. Uh, at the same time, you've just got to accept that you can't just all sit in one room anymore. You're yeah. just too big. Mm -hmm. And if you want to grow, like if you want to be a successful business, you can't stay 50 people. You've got to grow. So, so it's an acceptance of, of cultural change, but at the same time, managing that is, uh, is, is our task, I guess. So just conscious of time as well. So wrapping up, Colin, you're obviously about to merge another company. How do you see the cultural intertwining coming through and their culture versus your culture? And how are you guys strategically placed to integrate the cultures together? Um, early stages, right? So we're still signing the deal. And on the 1st of July, we want to kick off the, uh, kick off the integration. Uh, we've got a 100-day plan, which is ambitious to, to at least have an initial integration. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's try. You know. um, it's it's an interesting one because I think we also selected them as a partner because of their culture. Yeah. So one of the arguments for Alex and Angus as founders to look at was the other founders and was how have they run the business? What kind of people have they hired? How how have they dealt with hiring people? Like why would you hire someone? Um, they are not in the stage where they've got corporate values on the wall and they've got processes in place for quality hires constantly and all those sort of things. But at the same time. I think um, they are very comparable to where we were just over a year ago. And so I think it's going to be challenging. I think it's going to be more challenging from the fact that leadership needs to integrate yes. rather than that people need to integrate. Because in the end, you're two startups in an exciting, exciting fintech industry. So you're going to see synergies and people are just going to understand that what I'm working on, I'm still working on. I'm just reporting someone else. But over the last six months, they probably reported to two different people anyway. So I think for the, most people, will be okay. it's the leadership that needs to go, I'm not the big boss anymore, or I've got now another level. Um, we've got that in our business. We're hiring people on top of each other because regularly the business outgrows us. Yes. So um, I think you've just got to be acceptance is not going to be easy. Uh, but at the same time, there are synergies that we looked for, which added to the fact that we wanted this deal to happen. Mission, vision, values. They are the things that can survive all cultures when we think about international borders. Um, they are the consistent tenets of our culture. So get them right, get them well understood. I think everything else, you know, we don't have a consistent culture and we're totally comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. Is it, I think um, one of the, I think I'll, I'll group those in one uh, <laughs> because I think, I think for us the values, like we have actually, we've got six values, yet we found ourselves picking one specific, like we fall back to integrity a lot. Like whenever we have things that are happening in the business and we want to explain why we're doing it or why we made a certain choice to pay back customers because something happened in the market or it's integrity. So, so values is important. I think communication, um, especially when you're high growth, making sure that people know why this change is happening. Is, are they still part of the bigger picture and stuff? So communication and leadership. I think uh, leadership is so key because if you don't have the right people and skills at that level to, to communicate and to drive those values, 
then it's up to the people to do that. And sometimes that can work, but I think key for the high growth is to, for people not to get lost or left at the train station. You know, you've got to have leaders that actually are, are operating the locomotive. Yeah. So you had three, not five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I grouped them, right? I grouped them. <laughs> and, and, and look, I, I think values. I mean, we talked about values in our business being underpinning what we do, and obviously that's the um, the foundations for for our culture, Jason. And one of our values is authenticity, which drives conversations happening at the time with the person, um, rather than any sort of um, you know political conversations or groupings or uh, uh, other um, issues that may arise. So I think that's been huge for us and taking our value to drive our culture. I think the communication piece is, is absolutely critical. We, we um, regularly put out um, questionnaires in our business and uh, one of the, the little bits of feedback that we got was that um, we needed to communicate more. Now, as the founders and the directors of the business, we thought we communicated everything, but what you realize is we communicate everything with each other in a boardroom and maybe that doesn't always cascade down or we're not telling everybody in the business. So we've addressed that by having a more regular town hall, by having more interactive sessions now. So I think to, to, to Colin's point, you know, that that um, culture underpinned by values, but communicated, and again, I don't want to pick on yours, but through the leadership is, is absolutely critical. Um, but the authenticity piece is, 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 is massive for us, huge. I clarify as well, um, when I talk about mission, like purpose, and we referenced it before, yeah. Like yeah. people expect so much more out of the business. I've done my time. I worked for a gambling company. Um, I now work for a very purpose-driven company. I think that's super important and making yeah. sure people that resonates with everyone and they understand why we exist is, is super important. You would Absolutely. see that clearly between the two. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. 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 I think that flows through all aspects of the business. So if you're out pitching for business mm -hmm. and people see that, genuineness and the authenticity and you're actually passionate about what you do it's an easier sell than just say well i'm here because i do this service offering please sign me up so it, it flows through and it just grows the business organically yeah it's an interesting point jason because um if you haven't got all your workforce together and they don't see each other during the week and in fairness they might not see each other for weeks on end if they're if they're working on different uh, high, uh, days in, days out of the office, then things such as the cultural club or we call it the vibe tribe are critically important. You know, those times, those social events outside the office where everybody can come together are actually now really, really important, I think, in, in keeping the culture, driving the culture forward and just keeping everybody connected. Um, because, you know, it, it, you know, you see it even in our office and, and we're not the size and scale of, of, of these two businesses, but people go, I haven't seen you in weeks you know, because I was at meetings or I was working these days. Um, and having an event or a couple of regular events is, is, is really important, I think. Yeah, hugely important. I think one of the messages we're hearing from our clients as well is the purse strings are tightening as well. So fuel is getting expensive, utilities. So what we've tried to do as a business, we are quite a social business. So we have a social committee and we try and do six to eight events a year, a Christmas party and just having everyone together. But we've designed the office in a way that we can use the office as that mm. entertainment space as well. So we've got the golf sim, we've got the bar kegs, we've got the collapsible wall so it can be social where we've had casinos set up there before as well. So it's, although we talked about at the beginning, it, there is that fun element, but it goes deeper than that. We had, when we opened the offices, we had the staff partners come in as well, demonstrated to say, this is what we do as a living. Your guys are working very hard. Let's demonstrate what we do. And that reflects in the cultural piece of what we try to be saying as well. There's no more questions. I want to say thank you to our panel today. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you've got any questions about any of the topics or you'd like to join us on one of the podcasts, please contact us via talk at growthaustralia.com.au. See you next time.